Marketing Week Meets, sponsored by Salesforce's intelligent one-to-one customer journeys. Helping you achieve higher revenue, happier customers, and lower costs. Hello and welcome to Marketing Week Meets, a monthly podcast in which we speak to a marketing luminary about their life, career, and thoughts on the state of the marketing universe. Our criteria for interview subjects is this, people who have made a mark in marketing and of course have an opinion or two. Our guest on this podcast ticks both of those boxes. Keith Weed is one of the highest profile and celebrated marketers in the world. Beginning his working life in engineering and Michelin, he made the not obvious switch to a marketing career after three years, rising through the ranks at Unilever before becoming Chief Marketing and Communications Officer in 2010, a job he will have until May when he will retire after 35 years at the FMCG giant. As well as overseeing one of the biggest and most varied brand portfolios in marketing, he's also an advocate for change in the industry. He's had stints as president of the Marketing Society, and he is currently the president of the Advertising Association, where he is leading efforts to increase trust in advertising. He has also been a passionate advocate for change in digital ad metrics, better quality advertisements, and an end to gender stereotyping in advertising, amongst other things. Here at Marketing Week Live for a special edition of the podcast, I spoke with Keith in front of a live audience about the past, present, and future of marketing. Our guest today on the podcast and on this stage is Unilever's Chief Marketing and Communications Officer, Keith Weed. Let me welcome you to the stage, Keith. Good morning, everyone. Now, the first question I ask people, uh, my guests on the Marketing Week Meets uh, podcast is, what motivated them to get into marketing in the first place? That question is particularly acute from me to you because you did engineering at Michelin for a couple yes, of years before yeah. you started at Unilever. So yeah, no, I actually have a, a first-class engineering degree uh, and I am a fellow of the mechanical engineers. I can't believe there are many CMOs for that. But, uh, no. Um, no. I think the, the thing is, is that what I love about marketing is this uh, mixture of um, uh, a sort of uh, magic and logic and it's got even more so uh, over the years. Uh, sort of creativity and effectiveness, art, science, whichever mix you like. But there's a bit about it which is just um, really sort of creating something uh, from nothing. And then the other side is the whole analytical side and the numbers, of course. And what's so exciting now is we have all the, uh, the data to do that so much better. I mean, when I started marketing, you were using information which was three months old from a retailer uh, trying to predict the future. And now you can have you know, real-time uh, data. So I think the magic and logic got even more exciting. And the other thing is, um, um, I like people. I'm quite a curious sort of person. And uh, marketing is a lot about trying to understand, you know, why did you do that this morning? And, and uh, what shampoo did you use when you got up? The... It's like all those sort of things is... Actually, curious makes it sound good. Actually, I'm nosy. I'm nosy. That's what I am. I'm nosy. Um, and if you're nosy, going into marketing is good. Nosy and uh, curious. Uh, make sure you get that on your CV or on your LinkedIn page. <laughs> You've heard it from somebody who's been there and done it all. Um, if I could just ask you to uh, uh, think back and compare the environment that you entered into at Unilever when you began your marketing career and then compare it against what? what the world looks like now. You perhaps alluded to a few of the changes there. I mean, you joined marketing 
at Unilever in the heat of the Thatcherite consumer revolution where greed was good and the consumer boom was right at the onset. If you, what, what, what key changes have you, um, have you seen, if you were to point to a couple, yeah. during that time? Well, I think, um, I think what's extraordinary is the pace of change. And uh, we, you know, we're speaking to a room full of uh, people here who are living it every day. And, you know, believe it or not, I have now been working in marketing for 35 years. God knows how that happened. But um, I would say there's been more change in the last five years than the previous 30. So I think the biggest thing is just the pace of change. And, of course, it's accelerating, and technology helps you do that. And I think what you need to do is understand how that impacts uh, consumer behavior and responses and habits. And so I think keeping current um, is hugely important. The big, I think the big change, as we all know, was, was the Internet, and, and that sort of changed everything. But actually, the real accelerator has been the, um, the mobile phone. And, um, uh, of course, you now have a, you know, a personal entertainment system. Um, you know, when I started work... You couldn't walk into the office and put a television on your desk and watch a bit of telly. But um, if you look at you know, when people are using Facebook and uh, Amazon and Twitter, surprise, surprise, they're using them during the day. So it's probably one of the biggest productivity killers because we all have a quick sneaky... Well, I know not you guys. You are all hard-working people. But all eyes on the stage right Apparently, now, some people go on their mobile phone during the day when they're meant to be working um, and uh, do something else. So I think that's it. Uh, but then also... The, then what does that mean? That means we're, looks, we're consuming media on a very much more personal basis, and hence, I think, the great promise, which we, we as an industry have yet to deliver, around personalization. But I think uh, personalization is going to be much more important. And also, we've got to think about how we behave differently. I mean, tonight, you will go home, you'll go into your bathroom, and you'll run your hot water tap, and you'll be a reasonable person. You'll let it run warm. You won't storm out, because it's not hot immediately. You'll let it run warm. Put this in your hand, and you turn into a monster. If an app doesn't load, a video doesn't play, you swipe by. How have we learned that? We've no tolerance at all. And I think as marketers, we have to appreciate that you know, the experiences we have to deliver on this have to be the mode the person's in. And you might be very reasonable waiting for the hot water to run warm, but here you have to make sure your tech is behind your, what you're doing and you can make sure that the experience is, uh, is fit for purpose for mobile. So I think the changes are big and accelerating. And we have to keep up and have to, to be perfectly honest, have to get ahead of the consumer. And I don't know how often you find yourself where you're sort of finding yourself chasing the consumer. And that's terrible for a marketer. A marketer has to get the future first and, and welcome the consumer as they arrive. So I think that whole pace of change, terribly exciting. There's never been a better time to be in business and marketing. Uh, but equally, you have, to, uh, you have to be in the race. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's just uh, I want to dig into a couple of those things. I mean, it clearly is full of opportunity. There are a myriad of ways to engage people, reach people, and loads more ways to gain insight, loads of data points to gain insight. But in all of those things, there comes lots of challenges, as you just alluded to there. And as you talked about earlier this week, and you spoke at the ISBAR conference on Tuesday about trust. Uh, there's some research, if anybody's uh, not seen it, which shows trust in advertising in particular at a particularly low ebb at the moment. Yeah. Um, you highlighted, well, many things that need addressing. Some of those were very specific to the digital ecosystem. Again, you talked about the internet providing all sorts of opportunities and being one of the big changes. But of course, it's led to a lot of problems. Um, I think you called on your fellow marketers and advertisers in agency and client world to reduce bombardment and reduce excessive frequency and retargeting. Um, 
This is a, a contention, not necessarily of my own, but that I've heard lots of people say that bombardment and excessive frequency and retargeting, it's just a product of the digital ecosystem. It's a product of the fact that we're all giddy, agency and brand side, with the possibility that you can do things quicker and cheaper, perhaps at the expense of what's right and what's effective. As I say, it was a contention, but what would you, how would you react to that if uh, yeah. that kind of thing? Well, I think you're, you're right. Uh, um, at the end of the day, you know, what, could be, what could be more brilliant for marketing? You know, people are spending three hours more per day on, on um, entertainment you know, with their mobile phone. So you know, we've managed to claw out three hours more in the... Uh, uh, well, well, let's be generous, in the tube and the taxis, but maybe a little bit during the day as well. And in all that media, there's a huge opportunity for obviously marketers to connect with people um, wherever they are. And there's also the unintended consequences of the whole uh, digital uh, media world. And I don't think any of the companies set out to have some of the problems uh, we have right now. And we'll work through them. Of course, we'll work through them. We'll get out the other side. And you know, even if you just look at the thing around influence and marketing, and I put a big spotlight on that last June at the Cannes Lions Advertising Festival. Since then, 1.6 billion fake accounts have been pulled down across Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. And they are really leaning in to solve that. And I think yeah, but this time next year, influence and marketing will have been cleaned up. Uh, and they're taking it very, very seriously. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to sort of focus on an issue, work out what's, what's going on, and then, and then address it. So I think you're right to say, well, bombardment, frequency, etc. But right now, you know, every day we see somewhere around 10,000 messages. Well, actually, today you're going to see about you know, 30,000 messages. But uh, on a normal day, about 10,000 messages from brands, etc. And what we do brilliantly is we screen them out. Because if we didn't screen them out, we'd go absolutely mad. And as a marketer, that, you know, what do we, how do we respond? So we shout louder. But people now have technology solutions. And so ad blocking, 600 million people ad block already. 60% of us uh, skip ads when, when we can. Um, and so I think as an industry, we need to ask ourselves, why are people doing that? Now, I think there are two answers to that, one of which is, you're absolutely right, the environment, um, the ability to, you know, when I say bombardment, bombardment to me is like all these weird ad formats, you know, the ones that you know, pop up or you have to chase around or do autoplay with music. And the good news is, is the more responsible publishers have already started removing them off the platforms. Uh, having said that, we need to get them off the platforms and we need to prove to people that it's, it's counterproductive. So I think we need business cases to prove to people that actually what you're doing is not good for your brands. Um, and no matter, you know, you, you might think, ha-ha, we're going to chase this person and annoy them so much they'll eventually buy our product because if we don't do that, no, no, when you buy your product, then they, people retarget you again. You know, you've just bought a leaf blower and you get retargeted to buy a leaf. How many leaf blowers are you going to buy? I don't know. I, I think one. Vacuum cleaner. I don't know. So I think it's retargeting after you've bought. And I think what we need to do is just help the industry understand that actually what seems to be like, as you say, uh, a cheap and easy way to whatever, is actually, no, it's counterproductive. So I think the only way to do it is, and that's why I called out the seven deadly sins, is look at what, and we know them all. So all I did was group them all together and then go through them one by one and say, well, okay, what are we going to do about that? Um, and so I've just taken on the president of the Advertising Association for the next three years. Um, and, uh, and my focus is going to be just one thing. It's going to be about rebuilding trust in advertising because you know, a, a brand without trust is just a product and advertising without trust is noise. Um, and if you think about it, advertising 
funds so many things. Well, first of all, what does advertising do? Advertising connects people with products and services. And that's fantastic because, you know, if you want to wash your clothes, you know, you want to know that Purcell is the product you need, yes? Or that uh, Ben & Jerry's is the ice cream you want to eat. <laughs> Other ice creams for, are available. Uh, yes, I can go, well, actually, well, there's Magnum, yes, and Cornetto. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, touche. Uh, yes. Anyway, but what I'm saying is, is uh, I think the way that advertising connects, uh, that's great. But also, you know, it funds the free press. It's the backbone of, of, of our democracy. It funds um, Google Maps. Who, who used Google Maps to come here? Or Apple Maps, whatever. Yeah, they go. All funded by advertising. Search, posting. We get all this for free. We sort of forget it, don't we? Entertainment, TV, YouTube. All of us get this for free. We get this for free because of advertising. Advertising does good. But the unintended consequence of what we're doing right now, this long-term trust decline, and you're right, you, know, you, you called out our digital, but it's not just digital. You know, on right now, more than 50% of us say TV ads are annoying. Go back two decades. Go back to when uh, I was starting, even that's, was it, three decades? People enjoyed TV ads as much as the TV programmes. You can see the chart. It's, a, it's an amazing chart involved doom, 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 going down. And, and go back. Now, the great news is I think TV, TV's got better, so maybe it's a bit of both. TV's got better as well. But when people say they're not, they, you know, they find them annoying, 50% of people find it annoying. I think as an industry, we've got to ask ourselves, why is that and what are we going to do about it? Um, and I think there's all sorts of, again, building blocks, and that's one of the things I called out as well the, about the Unstereotype Alliance, which is, again, I think a good bit of news for the industry. Um, but we did a bit of research uh, three years ago now uh, into uh, the advertising industry. And surprise, surprise, we found that 40% of women, and this was across the world, so in different countries, 40% of women said they couldn't identify with themselves in TV ads. And what are TV ads meant to do? They're meant to be engaging people and connecting with them. And if 40% of women said they couldn't... So then we looked a little bit more and surprise, surprise, and you know it well, that somehow there's this sort of ad world which got sort of stuck in the 60s or the 70s. And so um, you know, women are in the kitchen lovingly holding the product like a display like this. The guys are in the garage and don't know how to work the washing machine. I mean, where did all that happen? I mean, I, I guarantee you every guy here has a washing machine somewhere and has used it. You wouldn't guess that if you looked at the TV ads. So what we said is we, we wanted to start unstereotype advertising, but when we looked at it, and starting with gender, but when we looked at it, surprise, surprise, again, when we um, had more progressive ads, they actually engaged people more and more effective. In fact, 25% more effective. So the unstereotype of advertising is not just a moral issue, it's an economic issue. You can produce better ads because people connect with you. So we started this, this uh, journey, and then two years ago, uh, I realized that the only way we're going to really make a difference is like engage the industry. So we've got UN women to take over the leadership because you weren't going to get um, uh, certainly our competitors joining something that was a Unilever initiative. Uh, hashtag unstereotype. Look at the unstereotype alliance, now led by UN women. And if you look across it, we now have members of it, of course, the Google, Facebook, uh, Twitter, but we also have WPP, Omnicom, Interpublic, uh, Havas, uh, Publicis, uh, Unilever, P&G. And these big companies engaging and saying, we collectively around the world are going to do unstereotype advertising. We put the research in place and you can start it going. So watch over the next few years. Um, you might think, oh, it didn't happen in my life. It'll happen in your children's lifetime. This industry will get its act together. And those are the sort of things which will build trust back. And we've just literally got to go down line by line. So why are we doing that? If that's annoying people, stop annoying people. And if we do that, I think then the future's rosy. And by the way, it's a great industry. 
I mean, you've chosen to join a great industry. You didn't choose to be a banker or a lawyer or an undertaker. You chose to join marketing. Fabulous. Have fun. You know, I'm a great believer that miserable people deliver miserable results. We need to have fun in marketing. And what we have to do is make sure the ecosystem of marketing is healthy and well. Lots to um, unpack there. I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying. Obviously, the, uh, the, the, the creativity, the wonderful creativity that we saw across all channels in the 80s is somehow perhaps uh, less appreciated uh, or advertising is less appreciated. Uh, we need to focus as an industry on driving societal change and there is a cleanup necessary in the digital ecosystem. And it is an industry job. I think that's absolutely the case through the Advertising Association, through ISBAR, through uh, big... Uh, voices with lots of reach like you have. But if I think about people here um, and making the case perhaps to the person who controls the purse strings in their organization, and it's often been said to me that it's actually, there's no finance directors in the room because they've been getting a kicking over the last couple of days. No. Um, So it's the finance director saying you need to do things more cheaply and more attributable. We need to show results fast. Therefore, it's the finance director pushing them to the bottom of the the old-fashioned marketing funnel, which obviously still is relevant today. So them sitting opposite their finance director, how can they make the case perhaps for more strategic brand building if you were going to offer some advice to them? Yeah. Well, the first thing is, is um, I think we have to recognise the reality we're in. You know, the, the, the world uh, is tougher and challenging. So if you're a marketer and you're going to sit in one corner and sort of uh, um, and say, no, 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 I, I, you know, I, I need all this and I, I, I. Uh, I think it's, it's a very much um, a sort of a, a we approach uh, to business. And um, yeah, I, I, obviously, along with you, I, I tease our, our CFO, uh, who's a great guy, by the way. Um, and um, um, and I, what I say to him is, you know, your job is to count where the money's going, but my job is to find out where it's going to come from. And I think if marketers can position themselves as being the outside in and the future forward, um, you can really help companies right now. Um, people are really challenged by the changes around us. And if you can be the insightful person in the company that gets to understand what's happening in the world and what's happening with consumers, you can bring it into the business and you're going to add a lot of value. So the first thing is, is own that space. Own the space about where the world is going. Own the space, what your consumers are doing. Because everyone in the company wants that. Because if you understand your consumers or customers better than everyone else, you'll serve them better than anyone else. So yeah, I do go to the Consumer Electronics Show every year in Vegas uh, and see all the tech. And you say, hold on, why is this guy from you know, a soup and soap company going to see all this high tech? Well, the answer is, is I want to see where the world's going. Because if I have a feel where the world's going, I can get to the future first. So I think if a market can do that, you're incredibly valuable. But then equally, you've got to use this opportunity to use all this great tech to make you a more efficient marketer. Uh, and I'm sure you're going to find some of the solutions out there. In fact, you find one solution by actually looking at your, your badge. I saw the sponsor for the registration is a company called Tribe. What's, you know, what's one of the big challenges um, we have right now? Well, you know, tons of content. You need to produce lots of content. I don't know about you, how many, how many people's ad production budgets are going up? No. Uh, you need to produce tons of content. And the challenge is you want to do lots of content, you want to do it in real time, um, and um, you want to do it um, with great quality. Um, and the trouble is, is right now you can choose two of the three. But there are companies like Tribe, um, and this is uh, a fantastic sort of user-generated content, where you can produce stuff cheaply, in volume, um, and quickly. So it actually 
closes the, um, the, the, the challenge of, of the, uh, uh, I want it fa fast, I want it uh, great, and I want lots of it. And I think as marketers, what we need to do is bring that sort of innovation into the business. So, you know, you go out, find the, the tribes. Uh, you know, I'm just using that as an example because it's on your badge, but find the tribes and, and bring them into the business. So we continually bring into the business innovative companies and ideas. And if you do that frequently, again, your finance director um, will say, oh, my God, where did you find these guys? They're amazing. Um, and I think you add your value. So uh, go out, find the, the exciting things here, bring them back into the business. So I think if marketers are on it and they, they own the future, they own the consumer, um, and they bring the outside in, and then they're willing to be really innovative in finding great, uh, using technology to find great solutions for the problems we're all facing, rather than, dare I say, the other side, you know, moaning that your budgets are going down, etc. You know, since I've been in this job, I'm in this job, whatever, uh, now uh, coming to nine years, I've taken more than a, you know, a billion out of the costs, uh, quite a bit more than a billion out of the costs of doing marketing. Um, now, my, my CFO loves that, but equally, you know, just at the beginning of this week, we were named uh, uh, yet again as uh, the Walk uh, most effective um, uh, advertiser globally. Um, and we are currently um, the um, number one in the FEs, the most effective um, marketer globally. So our, our marketing is still pretty good. You know, and and, and we, we've grown sales and profit every single year in the nine years I've been doing this job. Sales and profit every single year. So you can do it, but you're going to have to work harder for it. But technology at one stage might be the challenge, because that's changing the world. But technology is your best friend and the solution if you lead into it. Marketing Week Meets, sponsored by Salesforce. Helping you to connect to your customers in a whole new way. You mentioned data earlier on as one of the key changes. Uh, on this very stage, late yesterday afternoon, a former colleague of yours, actually, Cheryl Carvley, who's uh, now at Eve Mattress, um, she was saying she, she was a little fearful for the future marketer anyway, that, that, that things were getting a bit too data-driven, that people were going to be so fearful of what the numbers were telling them that they were going to forget the instinct and some of the things you talked about, the curiosity that yeah. a good marketer should have. Just wonder what you thought, whether or not data yeah, is getting no, in the way of insight. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a super point, actually. Funny enough, when you actually look at great advertising, um, you know, we talk about the, as I did in the Isbar speech, uh, please go and have a look at it. Um, look at the Isbar speech. Is about On Marketing Week. Fun? On Marketing Week. On Marketing Week, week. you have to. <laughs> no, no, but the reason I say that is because there are hygiene factors that we need to lean into and accept. So I'm, all I'm saying is go and look at the seven deadly sins and the things we need to, need to address. But funnily enough, the best way to get people to trust advertising more is to create great advertising. I mean, I don't know about you, one of the ads I use about great advertising, but you know, when you saw that, the, the, the John Lewis, Elton John you know, Christmas ad, uh, you, hey, you could have been back in the 70s and 80s. You know, that's, that is you know, a, a brilliant piece of creative that is engaging. You can feel the hairs going up on the back of your neck. Um, and so this industry can still do brilliant stuff. And when you do brilliant stuff, it cuts through, it engages people. So uh, you might ask, why don't we do more of that? I think we have got a bit distracted by the data technology journey. Uh, and I think with good reasons, because if you were a marketer and you didn't lean into uh, the logic side and were still living in the magic side, you, know, you would be um, Blockbuster or Kodak or whatever. You wouldn't be here. Actually, you wouldn't be here. You'd be, you'd be doing something else. So the reason why you're here is you've remained current enough to A, uh, keep in a job, and B, to be an industry, in a, in a business that's still alive in the industry. 
So I think it was important for us all to lean into data. You know, I've, I've built, what, 38 people data centers around the world. Um, we uh, probably this year will cross over a billion uh, first party data, which is unusual for a company like ours because most of our data is second and third party. But you know, I, I made a sort of a commitment a few years ago to build our own first party data power, realizing that if you didn't have first party data, you were going to be behind in this challenge. And I think all that effort, I mean, you can only spend your minute once. So if you're spending your minutes doing that, maybe you're not spending your minutes doing the other bit. So I think as an industry, quite rightly, we've built the muscles around data technology, et cetera. But I think part of the expense has been we've taken the eye off the ball of great, engaging, creative advertising. So I think one of the solutions is, okay, all right, we, we understand where we are, and you know, you know how to target and retarget, et cetera. So no, let's make sure we keep that muscle, but let's go back and remind ourselves of why we entered the industry and creating brilliant brands and uh, marvelous products and services and engaging uh, consumers. And if we lose that, that equal desire to create fabulous, engaging, advertising, content, etc., I think we've lost the sparkle. And I don't think we have, but I think we're at a time now where we just have to wake up and say, okay, let's, let's get back to the bit that really makes this business buzz, and that is engaging content. It, it amazes me when I hear somebody, particularly on the advertising agency side, have to restate the case for creativity. I know Mark Reed from w, the new CEO of WPP talked about it the other day, and I do, I'm not asking you to comment on WPP, but it, it seems ridiculous to me that we have to restate the case for creativity in 2019, but it does seem that we do have to. Yeah, I, I, but by the way, I, I'm a huge supporter of WPP. Um, they're, um, uh, well, they're our biggest uh, agency network. Uh, and I'd say the job that they've done, um, you know, we use Mindshare, part of Group M on the media side, has been brilliant. Uh, but again, I think it's been brilliant because they've become fantastic around media, but I think they've put a huge focus there. And now, exactly as Mark Mark's 110% right here. Uh, it needs to you know, reinvent the creative um, leading edge of WPP. This is going to sound uh, like I'm, I'm entering again into digital bashing. This is not the intention. Uh, but I saw you tweeting in agreement with my colleague Mark Ritson last week, I think it was, uh, who contended that the digital prefix and department and role will become redundant because everything is essentially digital or if it isn't, it definitely should be. Um, I just I wondered if you could illustrate what you meant in in agreeing with that with that yeah, contention I don't know. of so I think sometimes it flips. So um, you know, I don't know when it happened, but can you remember when you used to ha um, have a, a camera and then this thing called a digital camera? People would buy a digital camera. And my, my daughter's actually just finished at, at um, Central St Martin, uh, and she was studying fashion, and she and she asked for one of because she said, "Dad, Dad." I really want to have a film camera. Could you buy me a film camera? And so somehow, at some stage, you know, digital cameras came mainstream, and we just dropped the digital. I don't know who told us to. And they were called cameras. And the old camera became a film camera. So you know, it used to be cameras and digital cameras. And the digital cameras grew and suddenly became cameras. And the old cameras became film cameras. And I think that's what we're going through right now. So I don't think we... Uh, there is a thing, actually, funny enough, called digital marketing any longer. We are marketing in a digital world. Um, and in marketing and digital world, is, it's everything from end to end. And if you think, actually, um, I mean, what isn't digital? I mean, so we say, well, traditional advertising isn't. Well, all TVs are digital now, and it won't be long before we'll be able to you know, actually target uh, through TVs as well. 
So I think, yeah, uh, I think the, wor the world sort of thinking traditional and digital is fine if you are sort of grey-haired, 60-, 70-year-olds sort of trying to study the world and saying, yeah, we should, we should put more money on digital and less on traditional. No, because it's not an either-or. Um, the best uh, is a mix. The best is, is you take TV and then you, you slap in a little bit of uh, Twitter and you build... Funny enough, an engagement plan, and it just uses all the levers in front of you. And whether they're digital or not is neither here nor there. These are the tools of the trade around you. Um, and I think actually most marketers have got there now. The trouble is, is we have to translate when we go back into our business and speaking to our bosses um, and the finance department um, about, you know, we, we, we should be spending more money on digital. Which, by the way, don't use that. It's a real scam where you have to try and frighten people into spending more money because we're behind on digital. That's what, going back to the bit where they start not trusting marketers because you'll get caught out in it. So I think the answer is, is, is just play it straight. I mean, you look at what you need to do. And you know, I'm a great fan of digital. You, know, you won't find a, a bigger champion. But for what reason? Only because that's where my consumers are. You know, it's sort of um, fish where the fish are. Follow the money. Um, and if, if people are spending more time um, on, uh, on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, um, you know, people know and love Unilever brands on the TV. I want them to know and love Unilever brands wherever they are. So see where people are, where are they spending their time, and show up there. And if it's digital, great. And if it's TV, great. Um, I don't think it's a, it's a media uh, war. It's more of um, uh, where are people spending their time. Mm. It speaks to what we were talking about earlier, being a strategic marketer as opposed to a a tactical yeah. uh, marketer. Um, for those who don't know, I'm sure you all do, but uh, Keith will retire after 35 years at Unilever next month, I think it is, isn't uh, it? End of April, yeah. yeah. So I suppose you must be <laughs> in that mindset of reflection. Or if you're not, then let me put you in that place right now. Um, I don't, I'm not sure I do reflection. Well, I'll um, try. <laughs> well, if I could just ask you to reflect and think about uh, Unilever, the organisation that you've been at for 35 years. I mean, the, Unilever is one of those companies that's forever written about uh, in the marketing press as well as uh, in the financial uh, sections of the newspapers. I mean, some of the challenges are well known, D2C, price deflation, margin pressures, local competitors, etc. What would you identify as Unilever's biggest challenge that Unilever have got as a company, would you say? Well, I think it's the same as uh, any uh, business. It's uh, remaining, remaining current and remaining um, vibrant in the world around you. I mean, I, I've had this fantastic job this last nine years. So I am the chief marketing officer of Unilever, you know, second largest advertiser in the world. But I also run sustainability, um, our social environmental sustainability. And I run comms, internal, external um, you know, uh, affairs and policy, etc. And this is a very Unilever thing. We're really committed to uh, sustainability and we're really committed to the thought that actually you know, businesses uh, are, are, the, are in the right place to be the solution to so many uh, of the world's challenges. Uh, and in that, um, you know, we, we, we developed the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan back in 2010. And we set off with, with, with audacious targets like we're going to source all our agricultural raw materials sustainably by 2020. And back then, it was 7%. You know, we're the largest tea company in the world, the largest ice cream company in the world, the largest soap company in the world. The, the volume of ingredients that we purchase around the world is, is, uh, is huge. Um, but we said, no, 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 we're going to set off to do that, whether it be uh, sourcing all our palm oil sustainably or whether it be through to, uh, say, tea or whatever. We, okay, we now have zero waste to landfill. 
I remember when we first said, you know, let's, we're going for zero waste to landfill. And our chief supply chain officer said, like, Keith, have you ever seen a factory? You, know, you, you can't get zero waste to landfill. You know, they're big, messy things. And, and surprise, surprise, two years ago, we did get to zero waste to landfill and saved 30 million euros a year because you have to pay to send stuff to the landfill. So actually, if you think about sustainability is not only great for the planet, it's not only great for consumers, because people are now asking for this increasingly around the world, and rightly so, and holding businesses to account, rightly so. It's also good for business, because actually, waste is really expensive. So yeah, the planet pays for waste twice, once when you create something, and secondly, then when you dispose of it. If you take that waste out, you can create a much more efficient system. So in eco-efficiencies um, uh, in our factories, less electricity, less water, etc., we save 600 million euros. So I, I think a marketer's job, I'd argue all marketers uh, should be uh, in charge of sustainability because you can't just have marketing in one corner s selling more stuff and the, the sustainability team over here trying to save the planet. It doesn't work that way. Uh, and I think the, the wisdom uh, of my former boss, Paul Polman, in, in giving me the job to do both and say, no, no, you sort it. You know, create the demand, but also come up with a solution about uh, a business model that has sustainability at its core is the right thought. So, it's a long answer to a short question, but the, your question was the challenges for Unilever Market. I think it's just remain current. And look at the world around you. The world is challenged right now. People say to me, like, what's the business case for sustainability? I would love to see the business case for the alternative. What is the business case for destroying the very society that we live in? What is the business case for raping the very planet we live on? No, I think what the business case is, is create a sustainable business. Unilever has been around 130 years. I want it to be around for another 130 years. And that means, yes, when you're drinking your PG tips, you're drinking sustainable tea. Thank you very much. And we need to do that, all of us, across all our brands and products, because there are another 2 billion people are about to join the planet, and they want your lifestyle. And they can only have your lifestyle if us as marketers create sustainable businesses of the future. If there's something that you regret in your time at Unilever that you didn't achieve, or uh, let's not do the three, if we could just have the one, what would that be? What was your mistake? Okay, uh, let, me, let me give you one which uh, also comes with, with a, a lesson I learned. Um, back in the 80s, I was desperate to go and work in the US. Um, I suppose you know, if I was now uh, starting my marketing career, I'd want to go and work in, in China. But in the, in the 80s, the place to go and learn marketing was the US. It still is, by the way, but I think, uh, I think Asia's probably more sort of exciting, cutting edge than the US was then. I'd been working on Shaw, still the number one deodorant brand in the UK. Um, around the world, it's called Vexona. But in the UK, it's called Shaw. And I'd, I'd launched uh, Shaw for Men. And it was in those in the days uh, when you can remember the ads with the tick on the back and, and a, a, a fantastic torture test of someone running through a desert or up a mountain or whatever. Um, and so, anyway, go to the US, and we didn't have a big deodorant business in the US. I'm pleased to say we now have the leading uh, deodorant business in, in the US, but not then. I launched a product called Trust. Uh, we, we couldn't have Shaw, actually. P&G have the Shaw brand name uh, in the US. So we launched a brand called Trust with a tick. Uh, thankfully, in a Florida test market, because if it had gone, if I'd launched this nationally, I wouldn't be sitting here because they would have fired me. And in the US, um, the, the leading format is a stick. So, you know, we use a lot of aerosols. We use sticks here as well now. But back then, in the 80s, we were an aerosol market. Uh, and the US was a stick market. And we launched Trust uh, with this uh, big tick and you know, efficacy position about, you know, it won't let you down, sure won't let you down, Trust won't let you down. And frankly, the product wasn't a superior product. 
Um, and so we went against then the leading uh, uh, antiperspirant deodorant um, uh, players in the US, which is Procter & Gamble, um, a competitor I respect hugely, and they had a better product. So don't go against an established uh, brand leader uh, with a worse product and go and try and tickle the tiger, because the tiger goes, woof! Um, <laughs> and the tiger went, woof! Um, and we were annihilated. Uh, and it was many years later, when I was then working globally, um, I was part of uh, the team. I sort of led the purchase of a company called Lean Curtis in the US, and they had a brand called Degree. Um, and if you go and look at Degree today with its tick, I eventually got to be uh, the leading uh, uh, antiperspirant deodorant brand in the US, but I had to go and buy a business to get there. But what I learned is, is you've got to have a better product. You've got to have a better mousetrap uh, if you're going to take someone on. One more question from me. What's next for you? Oh, well, uh, what's next? Well, fun, hopefully. Um, so I've got two more months. Um, I've got still stuff to do. But I'm going to do a portfolio. Um, so I'm going to do a few non-exec director uh, jobs. Uh, as I said, advertising association. I'm already an advisor. Actually, I'm going to do something. Yes, I'm already an advisor for McLaren F1. I love cars, Formula One. Um, I'm on the board of an opera house. I love opera. So, yes, it's going to be a sort of a portfolio of things that I enjoy doing. I'm going to say it's very much in the industry as well. So president of the Advertising Association. I'm president of um, Historic Advertising Trust. I'm on the board of Business in the Community. Here's my sustainability piece, and you'll see me doing more in the social environment sustainability. So hopefully, so on one side, giving us sort of a, a bit back, um, but also the other side, keeping current. I'm talking to a few startups. Safe to say you're going to be busy anyway. You can continue to be busy. Um, thank you, Keith. That was fantastic. I think my key takeaway from the entire thing was everybody here, have faith in what you do, have faith in your ability to enact change, and enjoy being a marketer. Yeah, have thank fun. you, Keith Weed, and thank you, everybody, for taking the trouble this morning to listen. You've been listening to a special edition of Marks and Wheat Meets, sponsored by Salesforce and produced by Bauer Creative, with me, Russell Parsons, and producer Timo Donoghue. You can subscribe via iTunes and SoundCloud, where you can listen to previous episodes with the likes of Byron Sharp, Sil Saller, and Nicola Mendelssohn. Until next time, goodbye. Marketing Week Meets, sponsored by Salesforce's intelligent one-to-one customer journeys, helping you achieve higher revenue, happier customers, and lower costs.